0: Thank you. Well, good morning and welcome here. My name is Luke, and I get to serve as the pastor here. It's good to have you here this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, a number of announcements this morning I want to go over with you, so just uh, get comfortable here for a moment or two. Uh, next weekend, uh, we're having a special weekend on finances and stewardship. And uh, it's not a guilt trip on tithing. It's, it's a weekend on finances and stewardship. So you should, you should show up. It'll be good. Uh, we have a couple of special events uh, in line with that. Um, the first is that um, Garvey Schmidt is going to be teaching a Sunday school class on the 10 issues to resolve sooner rather than later, and that's going to be lo- uh, located here in the, the large classroom in the education wing. And then the second option is that John Weeb is going to be teaching a Sunday school class on the top 10 ways to ruin your financial life. And I'm sort of presuming that he's going to give the alternative on good things that you should be doing as well too uh, And that will be in the downstairs classroom And uh, this is kind of a neat deal uh, These guys are coming up just for this So we're actually inviting all the Sunday school classes Ages high school and, and up uh, To attend one of those two classes So you're invited to that uh, That's true N- Even if you're not a regular attender To Sunday school Or even this church really Like we're, we're flexible that way um, we'd invite you to one of those. Uh, John Weave is giving a sermon on Are we consumers? Are we stewards? Uh, what is, we live in a very consumeristic society. What does it mean to see us as stewards of God's resources and not just consumers? And then I'm going to pass around a sign up sheet. Um, afterwards, we, we're going to be providing a, a light lunch. And, um, oh, I guess. Let's just start it here work back. Um, the uh, um, uh, There's going to be a light lunch provided and then a, uh, a seminar on end-of-life issues, uh, incorporating uh, uh, or, or what, what to look at uh, when you're looking at estate planning, things to consider in your will, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, you guys are welcome to sign up too. It just seemed flow of people a little bit easier. I'm not trying to exclude the younger people from that not misread that one, shall we people? Um, so anyway, so that's next weekend. Uh, today at five o'clock, there is a, a graveside memorial service out at the church. Um, all are welcome to attend that. Simply time to remember uh, those who have gone on before us. So that'll be today at five at the church cemetery. Yes. I'm like oh for 4 this morning. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, a couple other, yeah, okay, some other stuff. We'll see how this goes. Um, deep thanks to Teresa, uh, Teresa Goosen. Um, she has been doing a lot of work with the backpack program all year long. And uh, this, at the end of the year, there was kind of a big push. We, we uh, handed out bags to, to all the, the different families. Uh, I think was it 17-plus different bags that, that were prepared Uh, But all year long, Teresa's been leading that and shopping and and getting the bags ready. Uh, I know Pat helps her out quite a bit on that, and a lot of you donate or help out or are involved to that. So a big, big thank you for that. VBS is coming up. Registration forms are available at the back of the church. Uh, Feel free to take one for yourself or friends. Uh, Registration forms are available online. I do believe they're still looking for a few teachers for VBS and so if you're interested and willing to, to help out in that, that would be wonderful. So, and also uh, MDS, Mennonite Disaster Service, is still looking for volunteers in Pilger. Um, this week, uh, I have a little bit more time. I'm hoping to head up there on Wednesday. So if you're interested in going up there with me, uh, give me a call. So I think that's it for now. Let's pray, and we'll continue on with the morning. Heavenly Father, this morning we worship you, Uh, we glorify you, we say that you are holy and that you are worthy and that you are worthy to receive our praise. And God, as we continue in our study of Ephesians, uh, we are so richly blessed uh, by who you are and all that you uh, have given us in regards to our identity. And it's a delight and a privilege to learn from your word this morning. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Stand with us and turn to page 159 in your hymnal, if you wish. To God be the glory.
1: the of God, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. to okay.
2: may be seated. Let's bow as we pray. Our Father, this is really a special weekend and a special day Monday for many people throughout our world. They are remembering their loved ones and much they need to. Yes, and we want to do the same. We want to thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy because of lot of these people that have gone before us, and we want to thank you today for a special day that we can honor and glorify your name. We worship you, and we praise you, and we want to give you all the glory and the honor that is due you, so go with us, guide us, and be with Pastor Luke as he presents the message, and help us to have open hearts and minds and ears to your word. Let them become part of us and let them be with us as we walk with you through the week and days to come. That our lives will reflect your honor and your glory. Thank you for what you've done. And we know it's amazing grace.
1: sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was born my fears relieved, oh, precious that grace appear. I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace. Will Thank you.
0: Well, as you know, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, and I was a little bit surprised uh, when I was looking into it and, and understanding Memorial Day weekend a, a little bit better, and I realized I didn't uh, kind of fully understand it. It's Memorial Day weekend is not actually a celebratory holiday. Um, it's it, it, it's actually a sorrowful weekend where we remember those who have gone on before us. Um, it was set aside by the federal government as a time to actually honor and remember those who have died in, armed, uh, in the armed services. Uh, it's sometimes confused with Veterans Day, but on Veterans Day, you honor the living, and on Memorial Day, you honor those who, who have died in, in the armed services. Uh, but in Mennonite churches, it's taken on a little bit different context just because we tend not to have a lot of uh, veterans who have people who have served in the armed services. So in Mennonite churches, it's been adopted as a time to remember just family and friends. Who have gone on before us in this past year, and so, um, so this morning I'd actually like to incorporate both those groups into our prayer time. Uh, as we pray, let's remember family and friends that we know of who have who have gone, who have, who have passed away this last year. But let's also pray for the for our country. Let's pray for those families who have lost loved ones in in armed conflict. Um, there's a lot of. Uh, heartbreaking stories and even just pictures of families and just widows who are way too young uh weeping by grave tombs um so so uh yeah invite us to pray for those and a couple things from the missionaries as well too uh Kent and Kedrin Miller uh, in Berlin Germany are getting ready to go to a conference in Asia they've requested prayer for that and uh jason and nicole querying i believe it's this next week jason is speaking at camp at the southern district senior high camp and i was privileged to speak there last year it's a great time it's 300 plus kids it's a lot you speak close to 10 times in less than a week and so it's a lot of fun it's a lot of adrenaline but it's also quite taxing and uh everyone's just staring at you uh, all week long so uh let's pray for them so please join me in a word of prayer Heavenly Father, we want to begin this prayer time by opening up our hearts and listening to you. And saying, Lord, how would you how would you speak to us this morning? What would you have us say? Or, or what would you say to us? Lord, search us and show us. Is there any offensive way in us? Show that to us so that we can not grieve the Holy Spirit, that we can be made right with You and with Your Spirit. this morning we honor you and we praise you and we call you holy and we worship you this morning We pray for those families, whether they be ours or others who have lost loved ones this past year. Pray for peace and comfort and the sense of your Holy Spirit in their life. pray for our country and pray for those who have lost loved ones in service to this country. Lord, we pray for the missionaries. We pray for Kenton and Kidron as they head to this conference. We pray for Jason and Nicole as they prepare to go to Colorado and Jason prepares to speak to a great number of youth Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit here to come and have your way with us. We worship you and we love you. Amen. Ushers.
1: Me and all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this way said, say, no, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout only all eternity rolls, he touched me. And hold the joy that floods my soul.
0: Yesterday, our family was out and about, and uh, there was some barn crafty thing happening in Hastings, and uh, uh, I went along because I love my wife, and um, it's great, I had a a pulled pork sandwich there, and uh, had a good time, Uh, and then afterwards, we had some time to kill, so we went to the Hastings Museum, and uh, we were just bumming around, uh, checking out that, you know, but at, at, at one point, one of the displays, they have a, a log home from kind of replicating the settlers back in the day and, and what they had lived in. And they had a, a sod house, kind of a, a makeup of the sod house as well, too. But you, you couldn't actually go into that. But, you know, we, we went into this, into this log home that was smaller than the office where I work now and uh, just trying to imagine life. Like, my goodness. And, uh, you know, the kids are there, and we're trying to explain this, as well, you know, to them as well. And, you know, farming and gardening and, and hunting and cold winters and, and hot summers and inadequate medicine and, and just everything that they, that they went through. Uh, I know uh, my ancestors on, on my dad's side when they first went to South Dakota, um, <laughs> it's horrible farming up ground up there. But apparently a group of them sent over a, a guy to kind of scout it out, and he came back and he said, I found ground that looks a lot like what we had, you know, back in the old country. And I look at the ground they picked, and I'm like, you had horrible ground in the old country, and why did you pick this all over again? Um, but anyway, you know, so we're, we're just kind of, kind of soaking all that in. And, you know, and then we drive back to our massive mansion-like home, where we are surrounded by technology and TVs and phones that carry more horsepower than the first space shuttle. And, uh, and this is just going to blow your mind, right? But, I mean, just, just this is the most amazing thing when it comes to comfort and laziness. Are you ready for this? This is going to blow all your circuits. I have this thing on my wall, like a little computer, actually. I push buttons, and it changes the temperature in my house. I mean, is that not just some of the most remarkable technology you have ever encountered? Um, we have these machines in the basement. We put in dirty clothes, and out come clean clothes. I have no idea where the dirty clothes go. We just get new, clean clothes every time we, we do this, right? Um, we have this, this box thing that heats up food in seconds. And I have this internal angst. I'm like, 15 seconds, 20 seconds? Like, I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to underdo it. Like, God, you know, I'm in a rush. I might need those five seconds. Uh, how do I handle this? And and we, we drove back from the museum, right? We didn't walk. We didn't have to saddle up horses or anything like that. We drove back. I sat in a very comfortable, climate-controlled box. And when my foot got too tired from doing this i turned on the cruise control you know i'm not walking but you know this oh my foot is so tired i mean if ever there was a sign of laziness and entitlement it would have to be cruise control and electric windows because suddenly like this is just too much for me i'm just dying absolutely dying my foot hurts from like having all that uh it's absurd Understanding the way things were deepens our appreciation for the way things are. And that is exactly the strategy that Paul uses in this next section of Ephesians. Uh, We're marching through Ephesians, just beginning to the end. We are in Ephesians 2. Um, There's three main themes that the book of Ephesians have, or at least that we're approaching Ephesians with. You'd probably slice it and dice it a number of different ways. But first, the first three chapters of Ephesians is what does it mean to be seated in Christ? And the whole first half of the book is identity. This is not a lot of do this and do that. This is what is your identity in Christ? Because that is the foundation before everything else. So the first three chapters are identity in Christ. Keyword, theme word is seated in Christ. Ephesians 4, 5, and a bit of 6. Now we're getting into some practical stuff, how we walk. In the world, key word on that one is walk. That's kind of our theme word. We're going to get into some more practical stuff of just how we're in the world but not of the world. Last part of Ephesians, there's some spiritual warfare stuff. And what does it mean to stand against the enemy? Key, key word in, in there is stand, all right? So our, our three words that we're looking at Ephesians with are, are, are sit or seated, uh, walk in the world, and then stand, stand against the enemy. Um, today we continue in the realm of identity And Paul begins by telling them to remember That at one time They were a people without uh, He tells them to remember That they were a people without They were without God They were without hope They were without heavenly citizenship But then Paul, Paul tells them about Jesus How Jesus brought peace About how he created one new man uh, No longer Jew and Gentile But one new man uh, and then he concludes by describing the church in three beautiful metaphors. Uh, we're just going to go through this piece by piece. I'm in uh, ch- uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Just want to read the first uh, couple verses to you. You're welcome to read along if you want. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you. We were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So, Paul begins this section, and it's actually an admonition to remember. Uh, ironically, it's his Memorial Day weekend, a time where the federal government says, You need to remember. Uh, so this this call to remember those strong throughout Scripture, uh, we are to remember God's faithfulness. Uh, the Israelites to remember specific events where God showed us showed up in miraculous ways. Uh, we studied the seven feasts a while ago, and almost all of them had some remember component about them. Every time we take communion, it is a time to remember. But in this passage, it's not the good things that Paul wants them to remember. He wants them to remember that at one time they were a people. Without. And he says they were without five things. He says they were separated from Christ. They were without Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So they were a people without citizenship, a, a, a people of God citizenship. Uh, they were strangers to the covenants of the promise. So they were without covenant, without promise. Having no hope. They were without hope, without God in the world without Christ, citizenship, promises, without hope, without God. It's a a pretty strong list. If you dwell on it, it's actually a pretty terrifying list. No hope, no promise, no God. And it's not only that Paul describes that they didn't have these things, he's emphasizing that another people group did have these. I mean, not only were they without, but this other group had it, right? Uh, It's one thing to say, I have an ugly car. I mean, I don't. I like my car, but, you know, back in the day. You know, it's one thing you say, I have an ugly car, but it's a bit annoying when you have, you know, a friend who has a really great car. Or, you know, it's one thing when you have, you know, a family that's struggling to have kids, but meanwhile, you know, they're surrounded by pregnant ladies. Or, you know, that mom who seems to always complain about her kids. It's one thing to be without, but it's salt in the wound to be reminded that someone else has all of those things. In fact, in Romans, Paul actually expands on this list. He says the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God, uh, that theirs was the adoption of sons, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. And from all of that, the Gentiles are excluded But rather than try to bury it or deny it or or pretend it didn't exist, Paul calls them to remember to bring it to the forefront of their mind. And Paul is about to talk about all that they've received. I mean, actually, this whole first part of the book, he's talking about their new identity and all that they've received. Because they will be far more appreciative if they carefully remember the time when they had none of it. Paul is not antagonizing them. He's trying to deeper their appreciation. Remember, this whole section is about identity. Everything so far is about identity in Christ. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? And he's continuing on that theme. But to drive home the point he's about to make, he first deepens the impact by recalling to their mind life without. Paul continues on, uh, verse 13 to 18. Look for the words peace and create. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we have access uh, to one spirit, in one spirit, to the Father. A lot in this passage that we could talk about, a lot that we could focus on. Uh, But just want to, was drawn to those two words, peace and create. Uh, With create, Paul speaks of the division, of the hostility, of the separation between the two groups. Uh, That he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, That those who are far off, uh, those who are near. Paul says that this is a time of tension, of, of disunity beforehand. He does not say that the Gentiles have been added to the people of Israel. And he does not say that the two groups have been combined. Rather, he says that God created in himself a new man in place of the two. That God created a new thing when he instituted the church. Both Jews and Gentiles were separated from God by their sin. And so God sent Jesus and created one new man or the church. There, uh, Within uh, Christian circles There's a bit, uh, bit of debate On uh, on Israel and the church And how the two relate And what we're at now And kind of how that goes on um, My opinion on this You're welcome to have your own My opinion on this Is that if you look at Romans 9, 10, and 11 uh, That you will see that the nation of Israel That the people of Jewish descent uh, That there were promises made to them That God will still fulfill uh, And we're not I'm not going to get into that whole lot today because we're not in that passage of Scripture. Uh, Much of Israel today does not follow Jesus. There are some, but a lot don't. Uh, But God has made promises to them, and and he will fulfill them. But they remain a separate entity from the church. Uh, So that's my interpretation on Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is kind of at the heart of that whole issue. Uh, Go home and read it. Uh, Google it. You'll find lots of uh, fascinating conversation and people ranting and railing against each other in blog posts. So... Paul says here that a new thing has been created. National identity has never, ever gotten anyone into heaven. Never. Uh, Only by receiving the forgiveness of sins and letting Jesus Christ be Lord of your life does one gain access to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new created thing. Bringing you into fellowship with Christ was such a beautiful and wonderful thing that Christ created a new people group called the church. The other word of importance is peace. Uh, peace use, or Paul uses the word peace four times. And he also uses the word reconcile once in, in the ESV. Paul says that Christ is our peace. Not the source of our peace, not the provider of peace, but rather that the person... Of Jesus Christ is our peace. Paul says that in place of the two groups, he made one new group, thus making peace. And Paul says that Jesus preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. My understanding on on that is that it's another reference to Jews and Gentiles. The Mennonites have a rich heritage of peace of valuing peace, of pursuing peace. Uh, And just recently, the MB leadership did a great job, in my opinion, of reworking Article 13 on the confession of faith. And in doing so, they they really kind of shifted it from a political position about the military to a much broader theological position on our desire to bring peace into any situation, whether it be the home or the church or the communities, and occasionally at the national level. Because one of the things that came up is people were saying it's hypocritical of us to sit in our pews and condemn something happening internationally while internally we have rampant you know, gossiping or slandering and we, just, we figuratively slit each other's throats. So they reworked Article 13 and it does a great job, a much better job, of saying that we value peace, we value it internationally, but we also value it here and in our homes and in our congregations and in our communities. And that that, uh, revision passed with flying colors. It is my deep, deep conviction that true peace begins with reconciliation to God. And I believe that that's reflected here in this passage. As we individually experience peace with God, that then transfers into our interpersonal relationships. And as communities begin to turn to God, only then will you see increased peace in the community. There are lots of organizations that claim to promote peace, and a kind of peace is promoted uh, in that they might uh, reduce violence, uh, they might reduce chaos, um, they might, um, uh, you know, just take evil and hold it at bay. Whether that be uh, police or child services or any kind of dozens of nonprofit organizations, all of which we need. But if Jesus isn't in the picture then true peace, then lasting peace, hasn't really taken place. We can suppress evil, we can lessen chaos, this is good. But the first peace, the most important peace, is peace with God. And it seems that that was one of Jesus' primary agendas, is peace with God happened first. He promised lots of conflict, but peace with God is something that, that is assured. This section has rich imagery concerning the church, um, and, and he continues, and it continues to speak to uh, your identity and who we are, and what does it mean to be seated in Christ. Uh, Paul has spoken of who we were, how we were a people without. Then he explains how we have been given peace with God, how we created one new man, the church, and now he describes the church in three beautiful images. First, he uses the imagery of uh, a nationalism or citizenship. He says that you are fellow citizens. With the saints. Do you know who can take away your citizenship? Only the country that holds that citizenship. Canada cannot take away your U.S. citizenship. Russia cannot take away your U.S. citizenship. If you're Canadian, the U.S. cannot take away your Canadian citizenship. No one can steal or take away your heavenly citizenship that remains in the hands of the host country where you have that citizenship. Secondly, he says that we're members of the household of God. Uh, And this is a much more personal image, right? This speaks to family. It speaks to closeness. It speaks to relatives. There's a reason why we sometimes refer to each other as brothers and sisters, why in in the Mennonite Brethren heritage, Right? I mean, it's built on our name, Brethren, because we were calling each other brother and sister all the time. Good families. They fight clean and they stick up for one another. I mean, how many of you take your marital problems and just kind of blab about them in the street? Of course not. That'd be a bad move on just so many layers. Bad move. Horrible way to handle your problems. Same true of church family. If if we're having a conflict, don't go jabbering about it on the street. Go to the person. If that doesn't work, ask for one or two people from the church to help you work it out. When you're at a restaurant or the Dutch kitchen and someone, you know, belittles someone else and says, Oh, yeah, that's so-and-so at your church. Oh, what a real knucklehead. I mean, you defend them or you throw them under the bus. You're like, Oh, you don't know half of it. When some public preacher, blogger, TV personality person, blah, 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 has a rough go of things, has a painful departure. Do we dance on their grave and say, see, I told you so? Or do we grieve the loss of a teammate? Let's do some simple math here, shall we? World population, 7 billion. Christians, estimated around 2 billion. Actual disciple-making Christians, I'm going to say less than 2 billion. Okay? If you're good at fractions, you know that we are outnumbered 3 to 1. At least 3 to 1. And of those remaining 5 billion people, it's estimated that at least 2 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. We need every player on their field doing their part. We do not have the time and the resources to have teammates taken off the field. We certainly don't have the time and resources to celebrate it. Are there people that I disagree with theologically? Yes. Plenty. Does it benefit the kingdom to see them dragged off the field, bloody and humiliated? No. No. We do not have the manpower to see co-workers taken out of the game like that. Other churches in this town, I believe, are our co-workers, not our competitors. If it's a better fit for someone, or if we are a better fit for someone, awesome, great, glad you're here. If Bethesda or FEBC is a better fit for someone, great, go, fine, God bless you, go to the place where you can serve well. I had one individual approach me, and they were... I kind of fumbled with the words, and it's kind of awkward, and they were kind of apologetic. And, you know, eventually they kind of get it out, and they're just like, yeah, I think that maybe, you know, so-and-so church is maybe just a little bit better for me. And in my head, I'm like, awesome! You're in a church. Go. Blessings on you. Go serve well. That's great. Send me a postcard. I love it. Bible-teaching, Jesus-loving, disciple-making churches are our co-workers, not our competitors. It's the house of God. It is an international house of God. You know what a denomination is to me? It's a boat to fish from. There are times where I've been frustrated with this denomination, other denominations. you You can name the same. I'm sure you have a few. It's a boat to fish from. And my goal in life is not to find the perfect boat. My goal in life is to be a better fisherman. And you know what? This church here, it's a nice boat. I like this boat. Okay? My teammates so far are very nice people. I hope to fish from this boat for a while. But at the end of the day, it's still a fishing boat. And we are here to fish. The Great uh, great, uh, Commission isn't go forth and form the most perfect denomination and guard it fiercely with pamphlets and blog posts. Great Commission is make disciples. Oh, and by the way, you might want to cluster up every so often and form teams just for the sake of efficiency. The third imagery that Paul uses is of a temple being built. And this temple is where God dwells. Uh, he says Jesus is our cornerstone, meaning that he is the starting point. So you start with the cornerstone, and from that cornerstone you build the first two walls, right? And that kind of forms the the line and the direction and the orientation. He talks about the apostles, apostles, and prophets laying that first foundation, that first layer. But that cornerstone cornerstone influences the entire shape and structure of the building. When Paul was writing this, they had a temple. And it was the hub of spiritual activity. And as a result, it influenced travel and economics and community. But Paul is saying that the people, that the church, is now the real temple. For his time, this was crazy talk. All right? This was the kind of thing that would get you in a lot of heated debates. But he calls us the temple. I love this imagery that it's growing, that it's not stagnant or stationary or even finished. It's growing. He calls us a dwelling place for God. We cannot go to God where he is at, so he comes to us. Do have any idea how remarkable that is? How unique that is amongst all the religions of the world? That we are incapable of accessing God, and so God comes to us? It's extraordinary, and it's awesome. We are the temple of God, and it's growing. All of us at one point were people without we lack citizenship, we lack Jesus, we lack the promises, we lack hope, we lacked God. But then Jesus shows up and He creates because He is an artistic God and an artistic God who likes to create. And so He creates one new man and a new church. And He brings peace and peace between the Jews and the Gentiles and between us and God. And this new thing that He created is so wonderful. He has to use all these different images to help us understand it. It, it, it's It's a place where we have citizenship. It's a household of God where we're family. And it's a temple where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, You continue to teach us so much about identity and who we are in You. And God today you vividly reminded us Who we were at one point in time And how we were people without But you do that to drive home Just how wonderful things are now And how wonderful you are And all that you've given us And how you've blessed us Lord And Lord so many images are required To help us understand this magnificent thing Called the church that you created That we are a part of That you invite us into you give free membership to all who would say yes to you. Lord, you are a very generous God, and we thank you for that.